Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to What Happened to You. I hope you're all having a wonderful 2022. It's been a number of months, and it's good to be back. I think the season structure of the podcast was a little bit too rigid, and it made me feel like I needed to have everything totally done and ready to go before putting episodes out. So I'm going to go back to just releasing these episodes as I record them. So it'll be a little bit less frequent, but it will also not be multiple months off between seasons. So you can expect more episodes overall. Before we get into the episode, I have a favor to ask of all of you. Whether you're watching or listening, if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review of the podcast, that would be really helpful. And Spotify also just started allowing people to review podcasts. So once you're done reviewing on Apple, if you could head to Spotify and leave a review there, that would be twice as helpful. Apparently, if you don't already listen on Spotify, you have to listen for 30 seconds in order to leave a review. So yeah, if you don't mind tuning in for 30 seconds, uh, that would be great. And also the links to the podcast on Spotify and Apple are in the description of this, wherever you're listening or watching. So click the links, click the five stars and write a review if you'd like. It helps a bunch with the algorithm and allows more people to discover the podcast. So thank you to everyone who's already reviewed and to everyone who is reviewing now. Today's episode is with a good friend of mine, Dennis Volk, who has an incredible story to tell and you guys are going to love him. As always, thank you for your continued support of the podcast. laughing smiling yeah. making fun of it and um because yeah as uh my favorite my favorite quote is uh laughter is god waking up mm. i don't know if you've ever heard that one before but no yeah, <laughs> there you go but i love it yeah. <laughs> laughter is god waking up so that's, yeah that's terrific we'll just hop right into it my friend okay what happened to you Ooh. All right. So, um, I was abused by both of my parents, but before that, um, when my story began in the lands of Russia in a place called, uh, Kuryashma, it's a province of Arhangelsk. It's like way North Siberia territory. And, uh, I lived with my mom and my sister for up to seven years old. Um, and so I never knew my father. Um, uh, my sister said that, uh, we we have two different fathers, but we share the same mom. And so for me, it was, you know, it was very nice. We were very poor, um, but I had, you know, I had stuff. I had love from time to time, but of course it was very traumatic. And then eventually um, one day my mother stood up to her boyfriend who came in very drunk and uh, he beat her in front of us. And um, she was already sick and frail at that point. And I remember doing what I can to just like, to be there for my mom, um, to take care of her. After that brutal, brutal beating, uh, she, her health you know, started to dwindle and we had a priest come in and do some crazy blessing. I had no idea what that was all about. Mm. Um, we were raised Russian Orthodox. And so one of the greatest things my mom ever told me was just to pray to God. You know, she said, pray to God and 
He will answer all of your wishes and questions and he will be there for you. And um, the, the moment you started to get a lot more sick, I would pray a lot. Like every day, every time I would be walking around, playing around, I'd be praying in my head, praying in my head, please, please God, you know, heal her. I heard some, uh, some story that if you find a beer bottle around and you take it by the neck and smash it against the wall, if the neck survives without being shattered, it's a wish. I think I made like over 300 wishes of those, you know, I would like be searching <laughs> through bushes, looking for beer bottles and, you know, breaking it and wishing it. But of course, um, because I'm here, God had other plans. And so eventually she got too sick and, uh, my sister and I went to go live with our aunts and, uh, I stayed at our grandmother's farm. It's called Dacha. Uh, they're called Dachas. It's basically a government given land that is given freely to people to farm and to live off of. And so usually people transform into like summer homes. And, um, so I stayed there, but I stayed there for a little bit longer than I anticipated. I think it was like three months. And I was like, okay, I've been here like way longer. Usually we're here for, for a week, a month, like some, something's off. And I hadn't heard anything from my mom. And uh, my aunt's husband at the time, like I was a rowdy kid, you know, I was traumatized from seeing my mother beat and we were poor and I didn't have a support system. And so I was acting out and I was not the best you know, little kid. And then I'm saying, I'm saying this with love, you know, I, I, I caused some trouble and, um, her, my aunt's husband's like, well, you know, these are my kids, so I'm not going to be taking care of them. You know? So they, one day they took me to the orphanage and I remember just going through the door, like, what, you know, what are we doing here? I have all my clothes and like, what's like, what's we're going on a trip or something like that. And yeah. I remember looking around all these kids, like, like, where, where am I? And she went up, my aunt went over to talk to the head lady. And uh, I remember just like, it, it was, it slowly started to sink in like, Oh, like this is an orphanage. Like this, like, I'm going to be left here. And so I, of course I protested. I was crying. I was holding on to my aunt doing anything I can. And she just dropped me off. And yeah, it was a brutal, brutal experience, especially like the first night. All, all I could do is just cry myself to sleep. And we had a wild Russian roulette uh, nanny where she, one moment she can be really nice. Other moments she was just like brutal. And I remember she, all the kids were running around screaming. Some, some were crying, some were laughing, some were just, you know, kids aren't going to go to sleep at 8, 8 p.m. in the morning or in the morning, 8 p.m. at night. <laughs> and uh, I just like, whatever. And I remember she walked by my bed and she just like smacked me on the head with a wooden like broom, like hard thing. You know, just, I remember it right here in my head, just smacked me. I was like, what, like, what is this place? So, you know, like I didn't even do anything. I'm not out about screaming, but and did, was your sister also at the orphanage? She was there, but because she was seven years older than I, um, she was in another, you know, another location. And gotcha. so, but that was, that was my welcome party, you know, like, you know, welcome to the orphanage. You're going to be here for God knows how long. And then here's a smack on the head for you. Yeah. Tough start. It was horrible, man. It was terrible, terrible. Like the living in an orphanage was 
uh, it's not fun uh, for sure. I mean, obviously, because you have no emotional support, you don't really have anyone to lean to. And the friends that you do make, um, it's there, but at the same time, there's a lot of distance, right? Because the moment you get closer, you, we're already like, we know like closeness and love and care could be potentially taken away. And so you kind of create like a, a rebel wolf pack, so to speak. And I made a few friends and I had a kid over there that was older that hunted me for some, some unknown reason. Uh, he just would always try and pick on me and torment me because like I was very, I wouldn't say I was very frail, but I was very uh, lighthearted and I had a, you know, wore my heart on my sleeve. So that's for, for kids that are more traumatized than I am. That's like, Oh, I can take advantage of this, you know? Right. And uh, he even got to a point where he almost drowned me in the river. And it's like, yeah, dude, yes, man. It's like, and like, and you can't say anything about it, you know, because there's nobody that's like, what happened to you? And um, mm. no, nobody really cared. It's like everyone is out for themselves. Anyways, um, the orphanage had a program where they had kids learn Russian folk dance, Russian folk music. We had, we made our own outfits. We made our own ocarinas and wooden spoons. It was beautiful. It was a wonderful outlet for me because I get to be on the spotlights and I get to uh, dance and sing, you know, and that's one of the most important things that um, any person, human being can go through. Um, and we'll, I'll get more into that later, but um through this process, we got to perform for our town's paper uh, paper making workers. We got into the newspaper. It was crazy. It was like I got to become a star, you know, in this little town. And um, and then a month later, they came over to us during our practice and said, "Okay, we're actually going to be uh, representing. Like you guys are going to be representing the orphanage in Moscow." Right. There's going to be other kids, other groups of performers that come to Moscow and you're going to perform there and our orphanage is going to be represented. And so there wow. was tryouts, of course. And I was the first on the list because like, yeah, this is it. Cause I had nothing to lose, you know, like my mother wasn't around. Um, I had nobody to lean to. So this was like my, uh, my anchor to, to sanity. And um, eventually we, came to moscow and then at moscow they said you know just kidding we're not going to be performing here we're going to be performing in america we're going to be flying again to california of all places in san jose uh saratoga right so i was like wow dude so <laughs> it was the greatest <laughs> thing ever you know we back then they they still had like smoke on the airplanes people could smoke in the airplane they had like really really shitty food i remember this like neon colored looking I don't, I don't know what the hell it was, man. It was just like, it was so bad. I remember eating it and I was like, this is great. Oh, look, steak and chicken and pasta and this neon looking dessert thing that eventually we all got food poisoning. Like jello? No, dude, it was like, um, like cornbread, but neon, neon green cornbread. Oh, 
Sounds interesting. I, I, I don't know, man. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. Um, but it was hilarious too, because when we eventually landed, like all the kids, most of the kids were like throwing up in bags and throwing up on the ground. Like we did, we did had no idea how to behave in the outside world. And we're, we're driving in the car. We've never been in a car. We've never been in a plane, but eventually we got to, um, the Russian Orthodox church that's in Saratoga right now. And over there, they distributed everybody to different families. So there was a school that was hosting this event and they asked parents to volunteer, families to volunteer, like, Hey, can you house these orphans in your family? And a bunch of people volunteered. Some said, yeah, we can take like three, four kids. Some said we can only take one, et cetera. And I remember this day, like they, the, the lady that was there, they she she brought me over like, hey, see those two over there? That you know, the lady and the gentleman over there with their son, they're gonna be your mother and father while you're here for the week and a half. They're gonna treat you like their own son. So you go ahead and treat them as if they're your mother and father. You know, so to me, this was another opportunity to feel feel like I'm part of the family again. And of course I ran over there, I embraced them. Uh, and it was great. Their, their son gave me some yo-yo and some other like mini toys. And he was excited cause he gets to have a little brother. Yeah. And, uh, we were, so as we're driving to their home, I threw up in their car, you know, naturally I just, I threw up in the car. Then they're like, Oh no, no, no. So they rolled down the window and I put my head over and I'm throwing up on, like on cars and everything like that. It was, it was great, grand, you know, and we got to this place and Sebastian, like this house was massive. I mean, it was like a mansion. I think it was like six bedroom, six bedroom house with, uh, a backyard of a reservoir, you know? So, I mean, it was just, incredible they had they had a pool they had three dogs they had an african gray parrot that i tried to put my finger through but they were like no 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 because he was like he's a you know he would bite your finger and uh, i was like wow like what is this place and they had like giant tv like this was before like the the new tvs but they had like an almost amphitheater tv you know it was incredible it's a stark contrast from the orphanage yeah, dude, like I've never seen a TV that big before. I've never even like I had a dog growing up, um, but he you know eventually got lost. But like here are three dogs and I could get food at any time, I could sleep in, I could run around, go swimming. It was just incredible paradise. Mm. And um towards the end of that trip, they my uh stepfather took my hand and I don't know if it was magic or if he learned Russian, but I remember looking in his eyes and he said, we're going to be adopting you, you know? So like, we want to adopt you and we're going to adopt you. So you're going to eventually come back. And so as the, the trip came to a close, all the kids were crying and holding on to the people that are holding them, you know, cause this is the first, most likely for a lot of these kids was the first time they got to interact with adults that were present that were healthy, that were loving them, that gave them anything they wanted. So we all we were all decked out in our new American clothes. I got myself a backpack, you know, a Charizard backpack. It was the coolest thing in the world. Oh, hell yeah. And uh, I think I had like a whole tub of toys and candy. And we went back to the summer camp and they said, okay, well, you guys have an option of uh holding on to all of your toys and your candy, or we're going to take it back and we're going to, you know, keep it safe for you. And I was like, okay, well, I, 
I'll, I'll take one or two toys. I'm like, I, what am I going to do with like 30 toys? You know? So like, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, when I came back to the orphanage after the summer camp, I remember like there was this immense shock. I came into the floor where all like our age kids were there and everyone had my toys, man. All these kids were playing with my transformers and my power Rangers. And I was just so pissed off. I like, it's like the spoiler little Brad, like ran over mine, mine, you know, just taking up hoarding like a dragon. And, you know, like the, you know, kids that were younger than me. And I was just like, this is my stuff. You know, the, these people gave it to me. They're there. This is my fan. Like there was my connection to them and mm-hmm. I this lady came over he's like you know like 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 can you actually play with all these toys all at once like maybe like maybe you can get rid of like t- take the ones that you really want and like finding your heart to give some you know away and I was like yeah you're right so you know like whatever I just started to just like I I, I saw like the absurdness of it and uh, I learned some humbleness in that in that memory. And so a year and a half went by, it took a little while. He, uh, Ralph eventually visited us a few times, visited the orphanage. And every time he would come in, he would bring a bunch of toys, right? So he's kind of solidified himself as this like Santa Claus, American Santa Claus, right? And in the eyes of adults and children, he was a savior and amazing person. And Ralph is your soon to be stepfather. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Or adoptive father rather. Adopt, yeah. He, he was going to be my adopted father and it was great. And we wrote letters back and forth. And, um, but during that time, um, my mother had passed away. Mm. Right. And so it took a little bit longer for them to adopt me. There were complications in the government. And during this time, there was a lot of, uh, Russian kids and just a lot of orphans, honestly, from around the world, they were again adopted. It was like this, this surge of people wanting to adopt kids and Russian kids in particular. And, um, and so there was some leniency. And since I think the year after I got adopted, they, they became a little bit more strict, but, uh, aside the point. And how did you find out about your mother dying? Yeah. So my aunt, she just showed up randomly one day and I was like, Oh, just playing outside. And I saw her, I was like, Oh, my auntie, you know, I came over like, Oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to go back to the dacha. You don't have to be here. And so she would do that from time to time. But this time she, she took me over. And, um, I remember that day very, very vividly, honestly, I just, I played around, ran around, raced some kids. And there were a lot of people at our uh at this house and like what like what is happening like we're having some party like this is great you know there's a bunch of food and i'm playing around and eventually they uh they they took my sister and i back into the room and they just told her yeah your mom passed away last week so this is you know she's gonna be buried today and it was just devastating because i was angry one because i felt that i could have handled it if i had known this sooner like i like i i remember like punishing myself mentally like why did you get to play around and race all these kids and your mother like you know like there's so like a storm of emotions and like this you know cried all the way through and then there was a truck outside and we went back and there was my mom my mom's rather my mom's corpse uh it was an open casket and i remember we had to drive very slowly uh, from our dacha to, um, to the graveyard. 
And during that entire time, I was just praying to God that this is not real. She's going to wake up. You know, any kid is obviously going to do that. And even to the point where they were lowering her, like, no, she's going to jump out of the coffin any moment now. Like, you'll see, you know, my mom's amazing like that. And <laughs> <laughs> no, obviously it didn't happen. It's interesting that, uh, that the sort of initial reaction that you felt is something that so many kids feel when it comes to extreme events like this, which is like, I, this is somehow on me. I yeah. could have prevented this yeah. or if I hadn't been sent away, like this is all of your fault. Like I would have been able to, I would have been able to save her. And, you know, we kind of take on this responsibility as survivors, whether it's going through, through a death in a family or, you know, trying to protect the people around us when we're talking about abuse and not wanting mm -hmm. people to feel bad for mm -hmm. us or not wanting them to feel bad in their own general. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just interesting that kids even do that. So like, even before we learn about like real responsibilities, we have this sort of innate tendency to maybe blame ourselves for these things. And it's interesting. I don't really know why we do that. Uh, maybe because it allows us to feel like we have some sort of sense of control or we would have things would have been different if. Yeah. No, that, 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 I mean, that resonates really well. Um, in a way we, we shut, we shut down our, our innocence and our childlike manner, and we need to kind of grow up to sur to survive the uh, experience. I mean, it's, a sur it's obviously it's a sur surviving mechanism, survivor mechanism. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah that works. Yeah. Um, and it, and it continues on through, you know, even to our adulthood, right? Like, like as you mentioned, as we, when we start talking about our traumas, it's like, we kind of, we either play it cool or we're trying and make sure that the person is taken care of before we share anything. And, yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, exactly. it's unnecessary because we're denying that person's compassion and their own humanity and their ability to witness, you know, the horrific events and kind of process for themselves. So we have to, remember that it's okay. Like how, how the person is going to handle it is how they're going to handle it. It's, and if they feel uncomfortable, we got to understand, like they will, they, they, they will let us know. Otherwise at the end of the story, you can discuss more about how, how one is feeling and all that, but it's the best thing we can do is just to spill it out as raw as possible, you know? Cause yeah. And it, it is a survival mechanism for sure, because it also allows us to think that maybe this isn't that big of a deal and mm. like, Hey, like, you know, you don't need to, you don't need to trip too much about this. Cause I'm not <laughs> tripping about it too much. It's, it's like, yeah. It's like, we, we don't want pity mm -hmm. and often, and yeah. And oftentimes that can happen where the person may be going through whatever they're going through here in the, the events and instead of sometimes instead of having compassion, we feel pity and like pity has its own place, but it's also unnecessary. And it's like, I don't want to feel like pity is almost like, oh, I, I no longer am seeing the person in front of me. I'm no longer seeing the, like the soul. I'm seeing my version that I've created of it's a broken person or it's a person who's been through trauma. And, and so I got to like walk in eggshells around them. It's like, no, like I'm a human being. I, yeah. I got like, I'm not, I'm not being traumatized now. Right. I'm not in this, like I will retell a story and I may relive some moments, but I'm not there anymore. You know, it's like, I'm here. So perhaps that's what it is. It's like, I, I like, 
Because in the moment of the trauma, I was taking on my own internal fire, my own internal strength. I wasn't like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm so weak or sad or no, like I went through the fire, right? I was walking through it. I was feeling what I was feeling or not feeling like I was getting through it, but not one moment did I feel sorry for myself or yeah. I feel less than like I, what we need in the moment, what the people, what people need is compassion. It's like, ah, oh, I'm really sorry to hear that happen. Like that sounds terrible. And right, that's the most important part. And here we are, right? <laughs> always come, always coming back. And here we are. <laughs> here we are um, indeed. So uh, so yeah, so this yeah, so my mother died, so she got buried, and then I was by myself and I was just like waiting for for my next save saving grace which was they were going to adopt me and again it took a year and a half it took a really long time and uh but eventually the paperwork went through both ralph my stepfather soon to be stepfather and carolyn soon to be stepmother and my brother sean flew over they picked me up and uh and i got to say you know dasidania to the orphanage and to all of that and get to have my own meals, my own bed and all this good stuff. And so that was the thing, like during the week and a half, I stayed in America the first time. I believe that the reason they wanted to adopt me aside from just how angelic I was, uh, the connection I had, <laughs> the connection I have with, with, uh, with their, with their son, um, still to this day, I love him immensely. And we talk from time to time and, uh, but we really created this immense bond uh, that, um, I really needed, you know, I never had a brother, had a sister. Right. And so, um, yeah, so they picked me up and they came over and there I was my, my new life, you know, began. Mm. So, and it was great. Uh, of course, like with any adopted kids and, uh, with unaware parents, it's like, from this, from the research I've done and the stories I've heard, it's like people that adopt kids, like they expect them to be magically magical, you know, like, Oh, they're going to be so grateful to be adopted. They're going to be like angels. Like, no, dude, like, like I almost died. I was haunted by kids. I saw my mother's corpse, you know, like I went through all, all this nonsense. I got some trauma that I don't even know how to ward and process. And it's going to leak out and manifest as in smashing doors and lighting things on fire and giving the bird and swearing and being angry and all this stuff. And it's like parents rather, you know, they're unprepared for that. And I really wish that there will, I think right now at this point in time, uh, this is more, there's a lot more awareness around it, but back then, you know, they, they were just like unprepared for the, uh, <laughs> the the shit show storm they, they came in the bag the baggage that I, I brought with myself you know and not well, once also like no 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 matter how big the tv is it doesn't make up for the experiences <laughs> that you've had it's a crazy yeah. thing to assume but i think that's probably also their own egoic vision for what this adoption would be is like they're tr they're uh, adopting this kid with no problems and we're yeah. providing you this disneyland of a house that will magically erase all of your trauma um yeah. so it's probably their own sort of projections too and just like yeah. lack of understanding about like what's really going on in your life i mean i, I wonder how much ralph and and the, the family knew 
none. And, and that's it like, and that's the thing is though, they never asked me not once. Yeah. They never asked uh, me like, Hey, like, what did you go through? Like what's happened? Like they were always like, what, what's going on? What's there? It's always like, you know, you have a, a child that's uh, creating chaos and just, confused about what the hell he's feeling and all they do is like what's happening what's happened like they i don't believe they did enough work on themselves to really uh understand the the scope of what i was going through and uh living in their household you know this is probably not coming to as a shocker but the feelings weren't really talked about you know there was no like i'm feeling this or when you do this i feel that like, there was none of that it was like, here's some food, here's some TV, here's like, here's clothes, here's video games. Like, what more do you need? You know, it's yeah. like, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> they also time. don't want to know, like you said. I mean, yeah. Feelings is generally conducive to yeah. a relationship that, that ended up manifesting. Yeah. It's uh, like maybe, maybe, maybe they, they, they didn't want to feel that they were a failure. Like, they gave, they gave everything that they felt that the child needed everything but presence and love. So, (laughs) but yeah, so then the story evolved into like, I think three, four months later, um, Ralph and I were spending a lot of time together. Like I would be holding his hand, you know, sitting on his lap, he'd be reading me stories. And I remember like looking back, like I spend a lot of time with him, not a lot of time with Carolyn. And she spent a lot of time with, with her son, and so I don't know, man, I just felt very safe with him because I never, like, again, I never had a father. So of course I, I just gobbled up and I took the advantage of like, this is going to be a brand new life. And I can completely begin to forget about my Russian life and forget what had happened and begin to heal. And, uh, he invited me to a bedroom one day. So Carolyn went to go shopping or something like that. And he invited me to the bedroom he locked the door, which I thought was a little bit odd. And then he, um, you know, he asked like, oh, you know, you know, Dennis, go ahead and undress. You know, we're going to take a nap. And I was like, well, okay, that, that's not odd. We, we used to take naps all the time. Sometimes all four of us, you know, in the same bed is not a problem. Wasn't anything odd. And you were about nine now or? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So my mother passed away when I was seven around seven, eight, and then the year and a half went by and nine and a half, I was adopted. And then three, four months later, gotcha. um, I was in the bedroom. And so there I was laying, you know, like just with, just with my boxers. And he asked me like, do you love me? You know, the fame, the famous words, like, do you love me? Of course I love you from a, from an orphan's perspective, from my perspective, like this is my idol. This is, he's my everything. And he says, I love you too. And, you know, when two people love one another, Dennis, like, this is, this is how they show their sign of love. This is what they do. Right. And like, what do you mean? So then he just reaches into my pants and just starts to, you know, fondle with my private parts and immediately, um, shock settled in. And I remember looking out the window and just everything got very quiet, very cold and, looking like my mind invented as if in in the wizard of oz movie you know from everything went from gray to color everything went from color to gray and i just just laying there like 
wow, like this is actually happening. And <laughs> I remember just screaming like, fuck, like, like this is horrible. Like I am like stuck here. Like this is, I know this is not supposed to be happening, mm-hmm. but it's happening. And what am I supposed to do right now? And like, I'm stuck. Like I'm here. Like I'd rather like be in Russia right now than anywhere than here. Right. But obviously that's, that's what we, we know in the moment. We know yeah. it's wrong yeah. without any concepts of, of, sex or any of these things it's like and and it's funny because even phrased in a way of like this is what people do when they love each other it's like it's it doesn't get past we still feel it innately we know that this is wrong and it's like wow interesting that nobody else that i love showed it this way (laughs) what an odd time to be introduced to this kind of love my my mother's not doing that my even my birth mother didn't do that like 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 all right what like what the hell yeah welcome to america this is (laughs) welcome to to the most amazing place you've ever been to and you have a free and yeah, and you and you have somebody that's gonna be you know <laughs> fondling you the entire time. Oh, geez. So I just I remember it was just just the cold hard truth of reality really settling in. And um, uh, in my shock state, he asked me to you know go ahead and do this to me too. You know, and so I really felt like I was powerless in the moment. You know, because like this is an older person. The room was locked. Like, like, where was I, where am I going to go? And so I just reached in and, you know, also touched him and, um, he taught me how to masturbate. And during this time, uh, kids, you know, the body's still growing. So for me, there was no real, uh, climax. It was just a shot of electricity. And I remember like feeling, okay, this, this feels a little odd, feels kind of good. Um, and I remember if he finished or not, I blocked it out of my mind. And uh, so then he just, he wanted to just lay there, you know, like, let's, let's cuddle now. And I was like, eh, you know, I don't think so. It's like, no, like, okay, well, like, we're going to do it. Like, I think I'm going to go to my room, you know, just like, just get the, get the fuck away from you. And uh, yeah. <laughs> I remember going to the, to the door and be- he stopped me before I could open it. And he said like, you know, just one more thing. Don't tell anybody, you know, and don't tell mom, don't tell your brother, Sean. It's like, yeah, yeah. Like, like, what am I going to say? Like, like, what do you, what do you even do? You know what I mean? Like, I didn't even know what the hell was happening. They, they had no yeah. words. Like, what, what, like, what, what am I going to say? <laughs> yes. Yes. This is just, it's so confusing. We don't have the vocabulary to even describe it, nor would we want to like, as if that would be like, Hey mom, guess what? It's an impossible situation to yeah, be in as a yeah. kid and, and like what you said about uh when you started doing it to him it's like you are powerless there is especially in an environment where it's like okay so many things that i didn't have that you didn't have before in your life you now have because of this person yeah. and to think like i i imagine in that scenario because i did the same thing i'm like think about all the things that i might lose if I were to say something and it, it wasn't like initially, like my initial reaction wasn't like I need to tell somebody either. It was just like, I'm going to pretend like this never happened and I hope it never happens again. Yes. Yes. Um, but like we, as, as time progresses, you start considering like what the risk reward here, you know? And it's like, we're, we're doing this mental scaling in our, in our heads of like, okay, getting fondled, big TV. Get, you know, it's like, and, and it's, there's an impossible, um, 
it's just a ridiculous like equation to try to work out as a nine-year-old and uh i just uh am all too familiar with it and i sometimes i wonder because my molestation never progressed past the guy basically just holding my dick he didn't even have the courtesy to make me come he just yeah. would, ha would hold it uh, and yeah what a douche <laughs> um but uh <laughs> I feel like um, it, 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 I, I imagine that I would have done things. Hmm. I don't know, but I know the feeling of powerlessness that is associated with that type of an experience where, you know, I don't, I, 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 I it's easy to be like, I wouldn't have done anything to him, but in the moment it's the same feeling. And, um, hmm. Because I, I feel like we have so much survivor guilt, especially when we get into like the actual specifics about what happened. And I remember yeah. being so worried that people would be like, why didn't you just say something or just <laughs> say no? And it's like, but that's not I'm risking losing my friend here. I'm risking yeah. this person hurting me. Like, did you ever have any sort of um, worries about danger? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all, all the time. And I, I always worry that if I were to say no or stand up for myself, that they were going to disown me. I didn't even have the words for that. Like I learned later on what that meant, but like um, that they were going to get rid of me somehow or ship me back to Russia. And so, like you said, it was this like, do I continue this or do I go back to Russia and potentially die? Like, talk like, about a survival uh, mechanism yeah. <laughs> like what a what a it's a no-brainer decision i'm gonna sit through this and bear it yeah yeah wild um but yeah he just like he he went through like so that was you know that was odd but then he went through like the most odd thing he said he just went through the list of all the people and like firefighters paramedics policemen teachers family friends don't tell anyone he listed all those people out. He, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, and I remember like, so as I was saying, yeah, I won't say it. Right. I was making a contract with making a contract with them that, yeah, I wasn't going to do that. Even though I had no idea what the hell I was even agreeing to. I just wanted to get the fuck out of there as soon as possible. Um, <clears throat> but that stayed with me. Right. Cause uh, as children, our minds are so palpable and like, depending on how we're raised, they, we can either be told like, yeah, every time I say this word, you're going to have to hop around on one leg and bark, you know, like that, that that can be literally programmed into your head. So this agreement was programmed, I believe, to this day into my my mind for years. Um, you know, it was like, OK, no matter what happens, I, I made this agreement. You know, I'm not going to go back on it for a while. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I ran away and then. Uh, I pray that like, okay, maybe, maybe this was like a one-time thing, some, some freaky thing that will not happen again. And a month went by and I was starting to finally feel okay. You know, I was playing with my toys and uh, he came in the room and I was like, Oh, Hey, you know, and then he smiled and he seemed like the same, same Ralph to me. Same, he seemed like he had like this father energy about him again. And I was like, okay. Whew. Okay, it's not going to happen again. He's, he's not mentioning anything. Then he closes the door. I was like, Oh, like what's happening here. And, uh, and he's like, so, uh, do you remember what we did? And I was like, fuck dude. Like, I, I, I wish I hadn't, but I, you know, yeah. yeah. Like, of course I remember what we did. It's like, yeah. Okay, good. Um, 
Well, I really liked it, Dennis. I really liked what we did. You made me feel super good. Did you feel good? I'm like, I mean, I guess like, okay, well, you know, let's, uh, let's do it again. Huh? How about we do it again? And I was like, fuck, you know, like he, I was trapped in my room and downstairs in my bedroom, tr- the door was locked. Like, where, where am I going to say no? No. Like, I didn't even know that was even a possibility. Right. Yeah. So, uh, that night he came over and, uh, yeah, we just did it again. And, and so he came over like into your room or yeah, he came over yeah. to the room. So after, after my brother was put to sleep and it was like late at night, um, he, you know, he came down and the, he, I would hear his footsteps that would later on become very infamous. I, I could like tell by the way he would come down the stairs, whether he wanted to molest me or whether he just wanted to play the role of a father. I, I could literally tell. Wow. Yeah. And like, it was just every time, sometimes it was like the quicker footsteps or the louder the footsteps, he was playing the role of the father, the quieter, more kind of like sketchy <laughs> footsteps. So it was like, okay, like it's, it's, it's about to happen, you know? Oh, that's uh, real, dude. I literally <laughs> feel like I know exactly what you mean by that because I, I would obviously like, I, I would never like sleep well at my friend's house because it would just be like, well, I'm, it's just a matter of time before this happens. And you do, I remember when we would sleep on the third floor, there were these stairs that would go up to it and it would be a very slow creak and an occasional quiet creak that Mm -hmm. no human walks upstairs like that unless (laughs) be quiet. So like you do, wow, what a trip. Yeah. 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 I know what you mean, man. Uh, So... Yeah, this uh, long story short on that end, this this continued on, and eventually the abuse escalated from a month to one, you know, every few weeks to every week to every day, right? And so by the time I'm 12 years old, this is literally happening every day for a year, every day, you know, anytime Carolyn would go out, he would show up, or if Carolyn would tuck me in first, he would tuck me last, and he would masturbate, and I would masturbate him, and then. So like my, my whole world started to uh, collide on itself and I had to find some form of sanity and some way of managing that. And so I created like these different personas, so to speak, right? So I had a persona of like, okay, this is the the dentist that's going to be abused. Like the, he he's strong, he can get through this. It's just another day. It's just another, another chore. And then you have the dentist that's going to try and and pretend to be a kid and then you have the the rebellious russian wolf you know dennis that's like gonna say you know f you like i'm not gonna i'm gonna remember this you know to to the day to to the very last day like i know what's gonna happen i know this is wrong and i'm gonna find ways to fight back and eventually i did um i started to lock the door and when i would hear him i would run to my door lock it and you know he would like try to open it and i would hear him in the other side of the door like fuck like what the fuck why is this locked and he he had like a pin that he would hide that he could open it at any time you know and he's like dennis like why why the fuck did you you know lock the door and like i don't know like i was scared of like what are you scared of like you know scared of monsters i saw a scary movie think (laughs) (laughs) but i you know just looking back i i really believe he also had his own split, you know, I mean, they have to kind of live their own, uh, 
different lives too, right? Because he he would he would regress. I remember he would definitely regress. The 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 energy and the presence of strength and fatherliness would would not be in the room. It was almost as if he would regress to his own childlike state, mm. and he was trying to be like my lover, you know, or my partner in a sense. So, did I make it right? No, but it just I. I'm saying this because it, it makes more sense and it helps to, um, what's the word, uh, to create distance from such a traumatic event and to view it in a way that's more healing. Right? And so what I mean by that is I get to see, I, like, for, I first acknowledge that there is a soul somewhere down the line. He was abused, most likely. You know, he comes from an Irish background, you know, back in Boston. And I'm sure... Uh, he was touched and funded by either a priest or somebody because he had a real strong aversion to God. You know, God wasn't ever mentioned in our household. It was almost like God doesn't exist. And maybe it was a priest or maybe it was just the fact that he was abused and he's been through so much shit that he's, you know, we tend to blame God for, for our, all of our mishaps and, and tragedies. But it's also the uh, uh, insatiability of these desires that mm-hmm. Ralph had in in this time frame. Like to think about doing that every day, you know, it it seems like in in some ways it might transcend the sexual urges to be more mm-hmm. about trying to normalize his own experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean. And obviously sex is different for everyone, but like, it seems like that is, is beyond the scope of like any sort of like regular amount of interest in sex where it's like, he's getting feelings that might make his inner child feel reasonable Mm -hmm. or, or, Hey, you know, I'm not weird now because we're weird together or maybe weird (laughs) isn't the right word. But I'm not, I'm not a victim. I'm not traumatized. Mm. This is just what happens. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And maybe he needed some type of, um, what's the word? Some type of love. Because like, even to this day, like no matter what would happen, I would continue to be loving. Right. And so maybe he needed that validation that what he was like, what he was doing was okay. Because as a kid, as a child, children just love immensely. Like they, they, they can't not, not love, even when we're going through trauma, like they'll, they'll love a, a bird or a worm or whatever. And even despite the trauma, there is still a, a portion of us, uh, in, at least I'm speaking for myself. There's a still a portion that I still love them. You know, oh, totally, man. I love them. And so in the bedroom, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, in the bedroom, he maybe he was milking that, you know, okay, we're doing this. I have to be secretive. I'm sure he knew what he was doing was quote wrong, but in again, in his head, it's he was doing something that was uh, out of love and making sense of his own, like I said, making sense of his own trauma. Totally. Um, I think that's absolutely what was going on. And I remember feeling the same way where it was like, I loved the guy who molested me for allowing us to play T-rated video games. Yeah. I loved that he treated us like that. Yeah. I loved that he made us bacon in the morning. <laughs> and it was like, it, it's almost like this disassociation between the events that are happening. And maybe it's in part like, hey, this guy's not that bad, right? Like, you know, he could be worse. 
it's it's our own sort of like rationalization for what we're going through maybe yeah it's just it's wild man it's wild but it's you know what i've learned it it makes a lot more sense the more healing we do mm -hmm. right the more the more i don't know the healing can come in many ways you know it could be uh through through deep meditation you know like the the 10 day vipassana i'm sure that if you sit for 10 days in silence you will be able to hear your own heart and the truths of reality and i don't know i haven't done it yet so i think you, you you've done that so i'm sure you can you know talk a little bit about that if that has helped you in some way to heal from your traumas but then you have therapists you have different plant medicines and different psychedelics and uh you have hakomi you, like there, there's a plethora of healing that we can dive into and seek writing journaling painting making music dancing see you know there's so much that when you do enough if you feel confused or like trying to make sense of what happened do the work and i guarantee you you're going to uncover these gems and, and nuggets of wisdom and gold that you can take into your life to to create something better to create a, a newer 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 version of yourself every day and um <laughs> yeah that, that you can that you can wake up proud to be who you are you know absolutely be, be in this world like just because like th these type of abuses they it can, it can rob you of your soul. And I, I know for a fact that there is a definite soul shattering, you know, in the, in the shamanic world, there's a technique called soul retrieval, you know, that they, that the shamans will do where they'll go into the lower worlds where at the moment of, let's say the first time that you were touched in some way, a piece of your soul had to leave. Right. Literally, like literally imagine like a, a, like a, your soul is a crystal and a part of that crystal snapped off and went somewhere. Right. And maybe that's your ability to, to enjoy the birds, or maybe that's your ability to write poetry, or maybe that's a, your voice or ability to even enjoy music and dancing. And for the rest of your life, until that part piece of you returns back into your heart to that wholeness, there will always be something amiss. And you may not understand it. You may not know what it is, but a moment, you know, the day that you reclaim that, right, it, it will be magnified. It will be four times as strong as before. Maybe the poetry will be out of this world and you'll be the next greatest poet or all of a sudden you start dancing again. And to touch a little bit on dancing, one of the things that survivors can do right now Right. If, if you've been through this kind of trauma and you don't feel safe in your body, dance. Mm -hmm. Because when we dance, we are literally creating a safety uh, bubble and we feel safe. That's the only time we, feel, we, we dance really is when we feel secure in ourselves. Right. So even if it's a little tapping, even if it's a little moving like this, dance, just put on your favorite tune and see how you feel. Right. And this is, this is something I learned from one of my um, men's group. I, I was part of a, a men's group healing and the, 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 the therapist that was leading, that, I was like, yeah, that's one of the, the best ways we can begin to heal ourselves is to, is to dance. Cause we, you feel safe. You feel at home in your, this is your home, this body right here. 
right? And so when we get when we get yeah when we get abused, right? We 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 run away. We 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 disassociate from ourselves, and um, so dancing kind of brings back the spirit. It creates that fire, that uh, dude. Yeah, a hundred percent, man. There's, I think, a big thing with child abuse in particular is that we are in in the same way that you're saying part of your soul breaks off we're robbed of this sense of innocence where we should have been experiencing joy and that Mm -hmm. should have been the main thing that we were experiencing Mm -hmm. we're experiencing in many ways like the polar opposite of that and maybe not the polar opposite but a very (laughs) different negative feeling feelings and I think that's one of the things that really helped that that was really impactful about the meditation retreat was that it, I, what I noticed more than anything else was a greater appreciation of what is going on, of what is around Mm -hmm. me and how amazing it is to be able to just be without any worry of what might happen. And it creates this, you, you cultivate this appreciation for things that are, normally perceived as mundane Hmm. um being able to just focus on your breath without worrying about getting molested in our case (laughs) you know like it allowed in the same way that you're talking about with dancing like bringing back these joyous elements of life that are hard to fully appreciate and enjoy Hmm. when we know what might happen to us later or what has happened to us it's hard to fully appreciate a T-rated video game if I know that I'm going to get molested three hours from now. <laughs> and it's almost like I need to really appreciate this James Bond game. Because <laughs> otherwise, it's not going to be worth it, man. So. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> so, so I feel like that's part of what the meditation does is that it pulls mm-hmm. you back into a moment that you were often trying to escape mm-hmm. much more than perhaps the average kid. And yeah. bringing back that sense of joy into your life, whether it's through dancing, singing, drawing, or just being, it's it's cultivating a sense of safety in your environment. Mm. So yeah, I, I uh, couldn't agree more. Hey, hey. <laughs> um, so yeah, <laughs> anyway, yeah. Um, so it, what a, what so a lovely, I, what a lovely side note. We just went, <laughs> it, <laughs> so, it, yeah. you know, it works. We, 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 we've, we've, we're walking this path, right. And yes. hey, thank you for sharing what has helped you because it's real. You know, we're not, we're not just saying these things for the sake of sounding really nice or really holy or whatever, like this, we, we suffered, we cried, you know, we, we, we were on the ground in a fetal position. I mean, at least I was from time to time, right. Through the, through, through all this, because of what we went through and we took the next steps and, and again, here we are. You know, here we are. We are laughing. <laughs> so always, always, always remember that. Um, yeah. So eventually, as I like around fourteen, I started to uh, to fight back. By I learned to say no. And um, how did you? And and when did you do that? I don't 
necessarily remember. I just, I remember I was feeling really bad one day and he, 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 be, he became really um, compulsive with, with his asking, you know? So maybe I, like I stayed up all night pl playing video games or watching TV because why not? Right. And I needed to make uh, sense and I needed to feel safe. And that, that was my safety blanket for me how I survived through the trauma, what I created, I created the safety net was through video games and through TV. And so some people have other outlets, but that was mine. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just remember it was feeling really bad. And I just said, no, you know what? I'm not, I don't want to do it today. I don't want to do it this morning. I want to sleep in. So he's like, oh, oh, okay. And then at lunch, she came in and like, what about now? I'm like, no, like just, and so just, I continued to practice that. I'm like, oh, wait, shit, like this works. Like he, he's not, he's not going to touch me. Okay. All right. I can, I can, I can see how far I can take it. And then he began to get really clever and, um, you know, I would sometimes say maybe, but maybe was either a yes or a no, but because one maybe was a yes to him, maybe meant yes always mm -hmm. always you know and and when i would so the fact that i would say maybe in the morning maybe, maybe we'll do it later today the fact that i say that to him it was a yes and he was just like compulsive about it it's like can we do it now can we do it now can we I'm like no like what do you mean no like like no like but you said maybe <laughs> you know what i mean so like years of this 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 craziness i mean this went on up until the the moment that views completely stopped and um so but then he he started to invent like he would uh hook me in with pornography he would hook me in with magazines and eventually because i started saying no that stopped working Right. Then he started to hook me in with food and with getting me new video games and new game consoles. And eventually that stopped working. Cause like, I mean, that wasn't fulfilling I me. Mean, that wasn't creating me any, any safety net because like I'll be playing my Game Boy Advance, my, you know, Pokemon Emerald. And he would, he could just interject, you know, like, Hey, okay. You've played that long enough. It's time to go do it. Cause you said we're going to do it, mm -hmm. you know? So I was like, okay, I got to stop like asking for stuff because that's a way for him to, you know, to, to get into my pants. Yeah. And, uh, so then Pokemon he, Pokemon Emerald is the best game, by the way. Yes, it is. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um, <laughs> I love Pokemon. Um, yeah. So he started to, again, he became a little bit more intelligent and I want to digress a little bit. I just wanted to share this and maybe this has happened to some kids. Um, when I was younger, when I was still going through the abuse and not being able to say no, I was trying to make sense of what the fuck was happening. And I remember hiding underneath the piano with my dog and masturbating my dog. And I remember like, Hey, does this feel good? Like, and I remember, I just remember like doing this, this motion and observing them. And like, is my dog enjoying this? And I remember like, I, <laughs> I think I almost broke him but at one point, like after a while, he just he kept like humping the air. And I was just remember like, he wouldn't stop humping the air and I was freaking out. Like, Oh my God, he's going to find out that I was doing something wrong. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, you know what I mean? so like, if, if you've done something to make sense of it, like it's okay. You know, as, as children, like you, you did the best you could you with what you were given and um, you know, feeling shame for for that it, it doesn't serve and if you did that laugh about it find find something humorous about it and find 
you know, some peace because it's like, we did what we did. It's all good. You know, there was, there was no, there was no TV show or book that's, that was telling us, Hey, by the way, like th this is wrong. You know, I, yeah. I, I had to find, had to find ways like, is this wrong? And the fact that my dog was stuck in a, in a air humping position, like he wouldn't stop pumping the air for like 10 minutes, man. I like, I knew that, okay, this is not right. Like this is wrong. So. Well, and it's also probably it's trying to also make sense of your own, like, okay, this kind of feels good. I don't like who's doing this, but the <laughs> feeling is good. Is this also good to you? And also like, it makes total sense to do. This is so interesting. It makes total sense to jerk your dog off. <laughs> you can't do it with somebody who speaks English because because then you risk going back to Russia. <laughs> but then at the same time, it's like you you we're trying to make sense of what's going on, and you just it's I think that's it's it's courageous to be able to share that and be able to dissect it and figure out like what's really going on here is not something that you ever need to associate shame with mm -hmm. because the way that you were operating at that point in your life in the environment that you were in was not you weren't responsible for it you're not responsible for the person that you were even in that moment at all you were manipulated in the most extreme sense of the word into you know all of a sudden jerking your dog off is not that big of a deal compared to what most people who get molested do especially when they get older and have a sense of power and control in these things you know and and just a side note i remember hearing about kids in college who would put peanut butter on their dicks and have dogs lick it off so Jeez. all the more reason Whoa. to think this is not that big of a deal um, but yeah, man, that's that's really interesting. I, I have not heard of an experience like that before. And I think that it's probably because of like in a lot of people's heads, the idea of uh, animal association is this. I can see that having a bunch of shame associated with it. But that's sort of what I mean, where it's like your actions are are not justifiable in the way that they are when you're an adult and obviously we bring a lot of this baggage and trauma and unhealed emotions to us when we become adults as we've discussed with the people who have molested us but particularly in these in, in, in these moments where we're kids and we're just trying to make sense of our world it's it's okay mm. you know mm. so thanks for sharing that you're welcome yeah um yeah, so Ralph got uh, more creative and he invented a story where he told me that he knew a lady, a real life person that was living in Los Gatos. And uh, this lady, he know, he's known her for years. And what, she, what her specialty was, was having sex with underage boys to help them grow up into men. Right? Oh, what a profession. <laughs> where'd you go to school for that lady yes so you know to, to say my interest was peaked because then this could possibly this could be a possibility for me right i've, I've already seen all the pornography and like it's all in my head and that now i can transition it into some reality and um so I got more curious about that and my curiosity, I, I, I evened it out like, okay, like 
to get closer to that becoming a reality, I have to, you know, masturbate with him more often. So I did, you know, like it just, for, for me, like I was like, okay, I'm doing the chore. La, la, la. Okay. Tell me more. Tell me more. And we, so he would create these stories and he would ask me what I, what we would do together, what I would do to her. And he would describe her in detail and whatever. Right. And I just, I didn't know any better. I'm, I'm, I think it was, maybe he knew this person. Maybe it was just some made up fantasy. What? I don't know. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually one day he, he asked me like, well, what do you think about mom? You know? And I just like, what do you mean? Like, what, like, I think she's great. She's awesome. I like her cooking and she's really nice. And blah, blah, blah. like, no, no. Like, what do you, do you find her attractive? Do you, do you find her, you know, cute in any way? And I was like, man, we're masturbating. Like, I don't want to be thinking about my mom right now. So I was like, yeah. I was like, like no, dude. And he's like, oh, okay, okay. Never mind. Never mind. Let's, let's talk more about this lady. But then like every time we would masturbate, he would come in and he would interject. He would plant a seed of mom. What about mom? What about mom? What about mom? And uh, I got really irritated and annoyed with that because it just like the abuse like evolved to the point where like now I have to put up another guard of not thinking about my mom. Right. While Aside also from, being conditioned to think about her in that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I remember I just, I gave in one day and I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. She's, she's pretty cute. You know, she's pretty, she's, she's pretty beautiful. And so then he's like, uh-huh, you know, I, I got him now. So then we took the lady out of the picture and put mom in the picture. And so everything we're, we're fantasizing about of the woman, we started fantasizing about Carolyn. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and this went on for, I think over a year, this grooming process, and uh, he would come in in the night and he says, he would tell me that, hey, I told her what we did, what we've been talking about. And uh, she's excited. She got excited, you know. And so now he's planting the seed that, okay, that she wants this too, right? And so eventually he's like, do, do you want this to happen, All right? And I, I've already come this far. So I'm like, yeah, okay. All right, let's. I mean, might might as well, right? Like, well, my life couldn't get any more worse. Like, this is the, this is happening. So let's just see what the next chapter in the story is. And um, so he talked to her about it. Then he talked to me. He said, "Okay, um, I want to get her excited. So I need to take a picture of your erect penis to show it to her, so she can like see what you look like." Sure. O- odd choice of words, but um, yeah, I I remember just doing that and laying on the bathroom floor where often where a lot of our uh abuse where a lot of the abuse our abuse where a lot of the abuse happened and uh just yeah he took a picture and then he's like great this is awesome and he's gonna go show it to her and uh he, he before he left he's like she's worried right so she's worried that if we do this that the whole family dynamic is gonna change like you know what I mean? Like, like we, we yeah. <laughs> now it's too crazy. Yeah, almost. now it's yeah. <laughs> so it, it, it's just like uh, I've gone over days and hours thinking about like, did she know this was happening? I'm sure she knew because like, how can you not know? As a mother, how can you not know? And I don't know, maybe her greed and when having the lavish lifestyle, the the Rolls Royce, the supercars, and the the Hawaii trip trips, the cruises and all like she wanted all that. And so 
you know, to, in her defense, whatever that may be, like, maybe she thought that by doing this, she's going to protect her son. It doesn't excuse what she did, but again, like it's important to, uh, keep them in, in the conversation in the sleep because they're, they're not just demons, you know, they're, they're human beings. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So <laughs> I reassured him like, no dad, don't worry. I'm going to make sure that the, the dynamic isn't going to get any weirder, you know, than it is like, I, I like, yeah, I, I took that on and, um, and it was set for Friday. And I remember we had like some dinner party, the people left and it was like 12 in the morning and we're laying in bed and I'm anxious as heck and he's freaking out and she's stalling as long as possible. This is not to, you know, put her in a good light or whatever, but she was, uh, I'm sure she knew like, okay, what she's about to do is really fucked up. Maybe who knows, but uh, eventually like he would go in and out of the bedroom, go downstairs to the, to the TV room, like three, four times and like, where the fuck is she? Like, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, Oh, you know, just, just stuck in the bed, like, you know, in a bean position. Yeah. <clears throat> Eventually she came upstairs, entered the room, heard her take a shower and you know, I'm I'm hiding underneath the covers at this point. And then eventually I'm hearing the footsteps and I peek and whoa, there's her naked body. And I'm, I'm freaking out, heart is racing. I feel her come in the bed. And then they like rip the sheets off, you know, just violently rip the sheets off. And there I am in my nakedness. There we all in her nakedness. And uh, and yeah, and then she just begins to masturbate me, and it feels a whole lot better because I, I don't know what's what's wrong with Ralph, but like it's just like it's like he didn't have a, a penis of his own or something. You know what I mean? It's like for what he did was like it's like I don't even know. It was it was a chore, but with her, it was a lot. Obviously, is a lot better. And I say this not because again, not to excuse, but putting you into the moment of what was actually happening for me. And the, the work that I've done to separate myself, I can calmly talk about it. You know, before it, it would, I wouldn't even talk about the abuse with my Carolyn, you know, with my Carolyn, with, with Carolyn, I would never talk to it, uh, talk to people about it in such a calm manner, but yeah. Um, so eventually, you know, she lay down and, uh, I started having sex with my mom. And I remember very vividly to this day that in my head, I'm like, okay, this is it. Now, now I'm a grown man. I can't go back. Like this, this is going to be my life. And, um, being, being shocked and, you know, scared out of my mind, you know, we ended up like having sex for like two hours or something like that, because I just couldn't come. And I'm not boasting like, Oh, I lasted very long. Like, no, it's just like the, through shock and all that, it was just very difficult, but, um, yeah, eventually there was a, a climax and then they wanted to sleep together. So I slept with them the nights so in the morning we wake up and we have sex all over again. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, and things, things, you know, Sebastian, things changed really well. She started cooking more. She started being talking with me more. She started being there for me more. Like before that, she was very cold with me. She was very absent. She would, you know, tuck me in and say, I love yous and all that. But like, I couldn't feel her. And after that, after this event, like I felt that I had both of my parents in my life, you know, like this was the, the thinking that I had in my head. Right. And so now that the secret is out, I, we don't have to hide uh, Ralph and I don't have to hide anymore. And like, not, maybe that will pause because we did all this, but no, 
Well, that's no, also it's... pretty freeing too, just to have like somebody else know. Yeah. Like, yes. I remember, yeah, like, yeah, I, that's, I, yeah. Yeah. It's a huge part of it. I, I told um one of my friends, this is like, I just told him about the wiggle game. It was like the very beginning stages of the molestation. I was still embarrassed about him knowing that like it was going on for a lot longer and stuff, but I told him and just that alone was an incredible release just to not feel like this secret is only yours to bear. And it is interesting thinking about how much of a, how, how big of a deal they made about the dynamic changing negatively, how it actually seemed to change positively. And I wonder if that was intentional on their part or if the, cause I, mm. I don't know, but mm. also, um, I totally had 100%. I remember thinking to myself, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I remember thinking like, okay, if this is molestation is going to be on, going on, maybe I could work something out with the dad where maybe I could like touch the mom's boobs. Because that was was like all I wanted to do. And it's a it's a funny because I imagine that if he had gotten to the point where we were like having sex or like having communication about these kind of things, that would have been the extent of my sexual knowledge. And so I would want to do that with his wife. But at the time, because all he was doing was holding my dick, that was as far as my sexual knowledge went. And so all I wanted to do was just touch her boob. I didn't even have any concept of like having sex with her or anything. But in my head, I, she was, you know, way hotter than the dude that I didn't want to have this yeah. happen with. So it's like our, you know, you, I guess you could call them standards, but like our, the standards are pretty low for the sexual experiences that we've been having up until this point. So all of a sudden it's like, it's, it's pretty uh, reasonable, I think, to be excited about it in the sense that like compared to what has been going on, this has been happening with five, for five years with somebody that, you know, uh, to be able to do it with somebody that you're actually like sexually attracted to in, well, I wanted to ask you at this point, are you attracted to, men or women or both or where where was your head at sort of like going into this experience with your mom yeah great question um i remember prior to having sex with my mom uh ralph tried to implement that i was bi right he said oh we're all bi dennis you know we're all we're all like boys and men it's 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 we're all bi like that and um, i remember like talking with them like no i'm i'm pretty sure i like girls like ever since I was, even before all this happened, like I was fantasizing about, you know, some fantasy girl that I was going to meet and whatever, in, even in Russia. So like, I, I pretty, I knew my sexual orientation. However, the abuse with him definitely shadowed that. Um, growing up, I definitely had a, a, a I felt confused because um, uh, I loved men. Right. I had a deep appreciation for him, but I wasn't in a, in a sexual manner. I never fantasized about uh, trying to have sex with men or masturbating somebody. I remember he also tried to switch the pornography at one point that he showed me uh, only gay pornography, like a gay uh, orgy of these like under, they seem like underage boys, but they were all like having sex with one another. And he implemented that into our uh, se- um, play session. And I remember just like having a really hard time masturbating to it. And he's like, oh, this is exciting. I'm like, no, not really. Like, come on. What do you mean? No, look, look, like he would just try and mm-hmm. maybe make like 
if I was okay with it, then he was okay with it. I mean, I, I think, I, I think he was actually like a gay person because yeah. he was very, he was very flamboyant, right? He was, he was very flamboyant and he would often flirt with, with boys and men, especially like, especially when we have uh, pe- people over like later on, like he would, he would pick and talk with boys all the time. And so it was really strange. So, and I think he just said that he was by to maybe he just didn't accept himself, but um, yeah, yeah. It, it took me a while to, to separate myself from the, the trauma. Right. So I would, I would have like moments of panic where I think for like a two years, um, I had done like a very powerful psychedelic experience that kind of messed me up where I would hear words and anything that would sounded that sounded like gay, like I would like cringe inside and I couldn't understand what the heck that was all about because maybe I was afraid that if, if, if I was gay, then I, I was okay with what happened. Exactly. That's the thing. Yeah. I allowed that to happen. And I, you know, if and I will say this, that if you are, uh, um, a, is a homosexual the proper term? Homosexual is gay. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. It, it, if you are a homosexual and you've gone through this type of abuse and trauma, like it's still not okay. You know, I I've, I've known somebody who has been through that and he, um, they are, uh, a, a homosexual and they share with me that, uh, for a long time, they were so they were they they loved men and they were interested in men. But then the, this abuse was happening, and they just they they couldn't make sense of what the hell was going on. Where there was something fucked up with them? Were they allowing this to happen? No, like the abuse is separate as outside of your sexual orientation. Who you want to be in love with, who you want to have sex with, who you want to date, it's completely up to you. And it should be like, that is your holy contract with yourself and with God or with spirit or whatever, however you want to view it. So the fact that if you, if you are gay and this happened to you, this happened to you, focus on that. And not because, you know, you were gay or the person was gay too. Like, just like, it's, it's all, it's murky waters. So yeah, yeah, I, 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 you know, uh, I'm engaged to a beautiful woman and i've always loved women so but again this trauma played a really big role in my life where i was confused for a while oh it's just ruthlessly confusing totally man that's sort of what i mean about like the the jump of going from the men who molested us to considering what it would be like to either in my case make a deal or have in your case your adoptive mom get involved it's like that is so much more appealing than what's already been going on and it's like all of a sudden it's like this isn't isn't that bad you know and uh it's all like it's all relative and if we can sort of go back into these experiences and and recognize what was really going on in our heads and forgive ourselves yeah yeah like you can't really blame yourself for any way that you operated at that time because we were doing the best given the circumstances. Yeah. And um, it's interesting because our, our stories are different but quite similar in terms of the thoughts and emotions and yeah. uh, confusion. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So then, so what happened? Uh, so what happened after that morning? Um, 
I got bacon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Very good. About right? <laughs> Too familiar. Yeah, I just uh, things just got a little bit more relaxed. Um I they allowed me to play more video games. They gave me more food, they were more touchy-feely with me, they were communicate with me and I, I felt like I was, you know, in the club. I was, I was part of this. Yes. Now I don't have to worry that I'm going to be uh, discarded or sent away. Like I'm in, like, this is it. And um, you know, and it was, it was good. Like, uh, like they, like I didn't get yelled at a lot. Like prior to that, I would, I would get uh, verbally abused from time from both of them. And after that they stopped, it was great. Um, but then, you know, like a few months later, it continued. It, it's like that died down. The the uh, the new fancy toy was no longer fancy. And so it was just like, okay, this is happening for, for my own pleasure. And this is my own internal process. And uh, there, there's, there's still a kid who's not doing homework, who's playing too many video games, who is saying no to us, who has been rebellious. So we need to, you know, put the whip down and <clears throat> i remember just feeling really defeated I, I was around um 16 years old at this point so the abuse with carolyn and ralph has been going on for over a year mm -hmm. and uh they couldn't so again they started to verbally abuse me again and things just kind of spiraled out and i just remember feeling like what like i've done everything you guys have asked me to do like what what gives like, like what the fuck is happening here? Like, I, I, I can't win in this situation. And so I really, I felt super depressed. And I remember walking outside of the home and we have a bridge. And I remember sitting on the bridge and just contemplating suicide, contemplating to kill myself, you know, cause it's like back there, it's, I get to, I have to uh, please Ralph. I have to please Carolyn. And then outside of that, I have to do chores and I have to uh, be abused verbally and, you know, put on a facade that nothing is happening while, while taking, you know, a slap to the face or a whip by the belt, like, and pretend as if I deserve that because I've been a misbehaving son, not because I said no to Ralph or not, you know what I mean? So it was so confusing. And um, I made a commitment that, yeah, I'm going to kill myself. And, but at the same time, I really didn't want to. And uh, I was praying to God that like, please like have somebody like pull over and stop this because like, I know that I'm going to jump regardless. If somebody doesn't come soon, I'm going to jump. And so I, I gave myself like, okay, I'm going to give like the next few cars. If nobody, nobody stops, I'm going to go. And like 10 cars went by and I was starting to feel panicky and relieved and freaked out all at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then some random lady stopped and said, Hey, are you all right? And, uh, and I, I was like, no, this is you know, my imagination. And blah, blah, blah. and she just wouldn't leave. He's like, Hey, are you all right? It just kept asking, asking, asking. And eventually I like, yeah. I'm good. Thank you, lady. You know, to, to this day, I'm grateful to whoever that was. I was an angel in disguise because like, really, like I can say it with confidence that I would have killed myself, <laughs> you know, but so I walked back in and I was like, okay, well, I guess I just got to continue on and uh, keep trugging along. And I told them I almost killed myself. They were really angry 
at, at me like why would you why would you want to kill yourself and perhaps if there were if i did kill myself then you know the police were going to investigate and all that so what yeah and it would ruin the family dynamic so ruin their, their whole facade um and so for the next like three years i just became numb to it you know it's just like yep yeah, like I'll go to school. I'll, I'll do my best. Um, and I'll continue having sex with both of them. And just, I'll, I'll, I'll try and fight back, say no. And blah, blah, blah. I eventually somewhere between 16 and 19, I had a girlfriend who I believe saved my life because she actually showed me some actual, uh, genuine love. And I got to experience what it was like to fall in love, you know, for the first, your, your high school sweetheart, right? Like you, you have that, that first love that really, that elevates you to new levels of your understanding of love and crushes you all at the same time, because yeah. you know, like there are some really lucky ones who, who are still together and married, but they're but usually the story is you, you get to that place, but then the, the baggage comes in and then you crash and burn and all that. Um, but yeah, uh, <laughs> around 19 years old, um, I was going to massage school. I barely graduated and, um, I was very insecure. I had a very insecure kind of love with her cause she went to Chico States. It's like near Sacramento and uh, I was worried about like, she's going to get roofied or she's going to get alcohol. And, you know, I was very straight edge. I didn't drink, no nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I was projecting onto her that she was going to be unfaithful to me and like the love that we created. And so I got vicious and she eventually, she's like, we're done. That's it. I'm cutting it off. And she broke up with me. And then I lost my job because I just didn't show up on time. And my, the lady's like, okay, I got to let you go. Like, this is, this is like the fifth time you haven't showed up on time. And then I had my car towed and it was like the perfect trio, mm -hmm. you know? And so I was like, okay, I gave it my go. I, I, I tried to, you know, I said, I'll, I'll give it my best after the first bridge incident. And now here I am at 19. I did it. I, I gave it three years. I gave him my, my shot. And so I was writing a, a goodbye letter and I was, I was like, how am I going to do it? I definitely can't jump off the bridge. Cause you know, the lady might show up again <laughs> and save me. So I got to figure out another way. Maybe I'll drive off some cliff or something. And I was texting my friend and uh, he was in Boston at the time. And he, he knew what I was going through. I told him a little bit about it and uh, he called the cops on me. I was sent to a mental hospital and uh, stayed there for a week. And of course, the parent, like uh, Ralph and Carolyn freaked out because the cops came in like, what the fuck's happening? You know, but not once did I tell anybody that I've been abused, mm -hmm. you know, again, because the, the, the moment ever since that first day of I'm not going to tell anybody, it continued to play its role. Yeah. Right. I just, I, I really felt like I couldn't say anything because I made that commitment to my savior. And if I were to say it, that everything's going to, you know, all hell is going to break loose. Um, so eventually like three weeks went by, I was transferred to a different hospital and then eventually got out of it. And the first thing that Ralph asks me is like, can we do it again? You know, it's like they no, not want, like it's just, they, he couldn't comprehend that what I was exhibiting all the the stress and the anger and the, the craziness now wants to like maybe it's maybe it's the fact that i you know i verbally abuse him and i sexually abuse him no like whatever yeah so crazy but uh yeah i had um i, I met a really good person named patrick 
And uh, he and his girlfriend uh, housed me for like a day or something like I would sleep over at their house and I would eat vegan curry and watch conspiracy theories and learn about crystals and tarot cards and the spirit. So like, it was like my, uh, my red pill, you know, they, they offered me the red pill and I took it and mm-hmm. my world started to uh, dissolve like the, the Maya, the illusion of it all. And um, I built up the courage to tell Patrick what I had been through because Ralph approached me and said, what do you think of Patrick? You know, I'm going to ask, you know, like I really felt I needed to protect him from Ralph's weird, freaky advances. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, what's the best way I can protect him is I I can tell him exactly what kind of these people are and what I've been through. And so I went over and it took me like 10 minutes to eventually get the first words out. I was just, I remember sitting in in his uh, apartment. house and he was getting ready to work and he's like what's up what's what's up danny what's going on and took me 10 minutes to say i've been abused by ralph ralph's been sexually abusing me you know it was like just 10 years of abuse 10 minutes i don't know coincidence (laughs) i don't know but it i remember just feeling this immense relief like ooh, i can breathe again the floodgates were you know coming through and uh he he knew something was weirdly weird because just, he just understood. And he said, what do you want to do? Do you want to call the cops? Do you want to go to, go to court? I eventually called the cops and on the phone line, uh, the, the operator lady asked me like, you know, how old are you? Like, I'm sorry, this is happening. Cause I told him like, yeah, I've been sexually abused by my adopted father. I didn't mention my, my mom at all, but, but again, it didn't really matter. And she's like, well, how old are you now? said i'm 19 and she's like well because you're you know over the legal age limit of 18 we can't legally do anything for you so here's some hot suicide hotlines here's some other hotlines like good luck you know (laughs) oh it's just shocking yeah it's it's irritating it's irritating to hear this i hear it from other survivors who when they uh told their parents or they told their guardians that they felt it was a guardian they're like are you sure are you sure this happened? Like, I don't think this is real or we can't do anything about it. You know, like the movie spotlight, for example, right? It's a perfect example of like this. It's, it's fucked up. And unfortunately it's also the reality we live in and the work that we continue to do, this is going to change, right? Because the more people speak out about this, they can no longer, they can, I say they, I don't know who the hell they are, but people that choose to put a blind eye to this or choose to ignore it, like maybe maybe you can do that for a thousand cases, but 10,000, 30,000 cases, it's like, this is our story, right? This is your individual story, but this is our story. Somehow, somewhere I chose to incarnate into this body and I chose to, I'm saying this because this is how I've made my peace, but I, I chose to go through this to put an end to it, to, to put a stop to this generational trauma that may have, would have continued on like this, this is my call. And yeah. And I stand by it to this day. I took these people to court. I won in court. They were you know charged. They're in prison right now. You know, I'm not going to go into that because it's a longer story, but I chose to forgive my journey to healing began through forgiveness like the moment I actually felt relief and love for these people, despite uh, going through that, 
you know, like the for, forgiveness is key. And it's not like, oh, I forgive you. So therefore it's okay. It's not for the other person. Forgiveness is for you. It's like, I, for, I forgive them because now they have no power over me. Literally, they have no power over me. Like I can relive some of these memories and I can experience high, you know, heart rate and all that, but that's not them. They're not doing that. They're, that part, that part is done. I like, this is just my healing. Forgiveness is so crucial because it gives you power over the perpetrator. It's it. Right? It's, it's <laughs> funny what you, what you mentioned there just about heart rate and how you can go through all of this healing and still have these experiences where you have your heart rate go up for whatever reason. I was just home uh, for the holidays and I was driving to the soccer field uh, to play, um, some some Frisbee actually, but it was a big soccer field. And um, in, to get there, you drive right by the, the house of the guy who molested me. And um, that doesn't ever cause me any issues. Like I can totally go, I, I drive there often when I'm home and yeah. it's not a problem. But I, when I was driving by this time, um, I, somebody was pulling out of the driveway right as I drove by, and I, the, my my heart, I mean, it's like I couldn't believe it's like from from a normal beat to like I'm ready to run faster than I have ever, just in a second. And it wasn't even because I, I it was I didn't recognize the car. Um, it was uh, it was the guy who molested me. I think it was his daughter, but it, I knew that it wasn't him. But yeah, before yeah. I was able to decipher that, I was just like, oh, my God, what are the odds? <laughs> but it was funny to even though I know that I don't I, I don't believe that I harbor any ill will to this person anymore. It's still um, you can still react that way. But I think what was really nice about that is that I kind of I, I continued driving and like just got to feel that heart rate eventually like slow down and just to kind of remember that like, you know, in some ways our body betrays us mm. in the same way that it betrayed us when we would get erections in these situations mm. that we didn't really want them. We didn't want to convey the, the wrong message here. Yeah, yeah. But your body will respond because that's what it's supposed to do. Somebody's touching your penis. That's enough of a reason for your body to get hard. Forget who's doing it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and in the same way, it's like our body harbors all, you know, my body was harboring all of this, um, th these past feelings of when I would see him around and and uh, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the, the fear of seeing him at soccer games and how nervous I would get and all of these things. And it, it comes back up despite healing. But I think the difference is your perspective on that feeling. And what I felt was like, hey, this is an opportunity to once again remind myself that I'm safe and to know that oh. despite feeling fight or flighty in this moment, I'm okay. And not to be afraid of those feelings and just to treat them as opportunities to continue letting go of hey, anything nice. that you still hold on to. So I totally resonate uh, with what you said there. And um yeah, it's just uh, it's it's just wild, man. I do want to ask you just briefly about um, the legal experience, if, yeah. if possible, like because it's so insane that that operator said, hey, you know, you had your chance 18 years, you know, you know, should have taken it while you had, you know, it's like 
it's a bananas thing to think that that would be that's how the law works what was the process like for you speaking up and it, it just in a, maybe an overview of the legal process because i know you know i went through that too and i would be curious sure. to hear what the similarities and differences were sure sure um well pr prior to that happening and after i had my for forgiveness um healing session <clears throat> um i had wrote a letter to uh that was gonna i was gonna share this about how healing is possible and how we can return to wholeness we can return to god we can return to uh, a state of grace despite the the darkness that we experience and oftentimes we get there through not really knowing the the steps of the journey it just, it just happens eventually once you begin the healing journey you you will see magic but you have to do the the footsteps but you also have to like it's like in the bible where jesus asks uh john was it john anyway where he asked one of his yeah okay in the in the bible where jesus says like you know walk on water come come to me like have faith and uh that's kind of how we have to to go about our healing journey you have to have faith that that what you, you gotta hold on to that what you're doing by looking at your shadow, by tr by choosing to heal, you are literally walking through faith, right? Because you have no idea what it's going to be at the end of the road. But take it from me that it's always going to be good. It's going to look messy at times, and the end result is going to be amazing. So I had written this letter, and I sent it out to a private Facebook group first, and it was met with such a positive response there were people who'd gone through their abuse and never shared it with anyone and they had and they they eventually shared it with more people because they had read this like you you can literally play a, a role in your life like who knows how many friends you have who've gone through the same abuse even if it was one time or many times just hearing that makes it possible for other people to walk this you know this path and um then i shared it with I shared it with a school teacher. I shared it with the school principal. And then I shared it with uh, this wonderful grandma. Uh, her name was Yuna. And uh, she couldn't keep it to herself. You know, naturally, the truth just cannot be contained like that. So she shared it with her daughters, uh, who we were all in the, in the, you know, the, the circle of friends. And then all of a sudden, people started to distance themselves from Ralph and Carolyn. They're like, Dennis, like what, like what the fuck's going on? They, they said like they, 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 you wrote some letter and people are saying we abused you. Like, why would you say that? I'm like, well, because you did. Like, yeah. But that's aside the point. Like, why would you tell anybody? I'm like, well, I mean, I didn't really like, I mean, I, I said it, but it's like, I asked people to can like, you know, whatever. I tried to protect them in the moment. And, um, nice, yeah. but eventually, uh, the, the the teacher and the principal that I had told um, Lisa Frazier and uh, Claire Vickers, who were at Fisher Middle School, uh, they went to a teacher conference and on the slideshow, it said, if a kid comes to you revealing that they've been abused and they're under the age of 25, 20, not 18, 25, you have by law, you have to report it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so they called the sheriff. And then the, it just, it, this snowball reaction, I, I had no idea this was happening. And eventually I got called by a detective. They said, hey, my name is Detective Hanks. Do you know why I'm calling you? And I'm like, I, I have an idea, but no. And so they asked me to come in. 
And uh, I went in, I revealed my story and they asked for more details. It's terrifying, no matter how much healing I had done, going into details about what they, what he did to me, what I did to them, et cetera, was terrifying and a scary experience. Uh, but at the same time, it was necessary. The case continued to grow. Um, and when I went to, uh, to court, uh, my story uh, went uh, internationally, right? So I put myself out there. Uh, my lawyer at the time, she asked me, like, do you want to do you want us to hide your face in your voice or like, or do you not want to? I went to do a meditation retreat. I got a message from God saying for them to see the light, they need to be stripped completely naked of everything they own. So they cannot hide behind it all. Like, mm -hmm. okay. So I went up on the, on the, the news and the, being interviewed, like, yeah, basically. So they would see me like, Hey, I'm the one that, that, that revealed the truth about what you guys did to me. Just, I was very proud of that because it wasn't necessarily like, Oh, I'm so good. But it was like, this is this is truth and truth is God. And like, I am following this righteous path of doing the right thing. I don't know where it's taken me, but I know it deep in my bones is the, the most right thing I've done, you know, all my life. Mm. And, um, yeah, the, the whole legal thing was horrible. I will say it was, uh, it, geez. Uh, it took like over four years to complete, Wow! uh, because she had money and I did not, um, by grace, the lawyer that worked, that helped me did it pro bono. I'm not, not saying that a lot of lawyers will do that, but she felt uh, like, so, you know, like every little thing was happening. So I would continue on to this path. I could have said no at any point, but I just like, I couldn't forsake my own heart. I couldn't forsake my own truth. I had to continue on despite the shame and embarrassment that I was feeling and all my friends would find out and people would find out, fuck it, you know, whatever. Like, this is the right thing to do. Yeah. And, um, yeah, four years went by, she kept like paying off her lawyer to, Oh, we found some new evidence and they prolonged it, prolonged it, prolonged it, prolonged it. But eventually I said my, my victim speech and, or survivor, so victim survivor speech. Yeah. And, um, yeah, they were handcuffed. She was handcuffed in court. I got to witness that. It was cathartic. It was amazing and sad at the same time, you know, cause it's like, like you, you do this and there is a part of you that you have to eventually face. I mean, if, if it was a family member like that, it's, it's like re reliving a death of a family member, mm. you know, and I had to re relive a moment of losing my mother again, you know, wow. like, so it's in losing a father, losing the idea of what is family. And I had, I had to, I lost that mansion. I lost a lot. I or rather I gave up a lot. I'm, I didn't lose it. Like I gave it up. I gave it up for truth. I gave it up for goodness. And in return, right. I got to see them go to prison. Um, I got to win this victory. I got to reconnect with my sister that I lost contact from 12 years old because the story went internationally and she got to see the story on TV. Right. And the, it's so like, I have my sister in my life because of this. That's and incredible. Yes. Right. I, I would have never known. I literally up until the point that the Russian uh, news reached out to me, say, Hey, we found your sister. I thought she was dead. Like, 
So this is, you know, little steps in my story, like hear it, like there is real magic. There is real grace that plays in our life. If we choose to follow our truth and we choose to speak out and we learn to forgive for ourselves so we can begin the healing. Cause like, if you still hate the person, the perpetrator, and you're still angry, like healing will come a lot slower and it may not even come at all because you will just be stuck in the story of they did this to me, they did that, and I hate them for it. And I'm going to, you know, eat five tubs of ice cream and stay up for 48 hours because, because they did this to me. This, this is no learn to forgive, understand what forgiveness is and reclaim your life because it's a choice at the end of the day. It's, it's a choice to reclaim your life and it's not easy. It's messy and it's worth it. I'm engaged now because of this journey, right? I have a dog. I have cats. I have a bunch of plants. I have amazing friends, right? We met because I said, I, I, if, if I would have never gone through this, we would have never met. We would have never had this beautiful conversation. And I, I wouldn't have been able to add this beautiful, you know, story. Um, so if it's scary, reach out to people, reach out to your friends, join uh, a support group that really helps. So, but anyway, I, I digress a little bit. I get a little passionate about it because it's like, I, I really want to really, you know, share, share this truth. Um, I, I feel it. Absolutely. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a legal thing. It was hard. So if you're thinking about going to legal, legal court and to the court, just be prepared. It's another battle, you know, on, on top of what we go through and on top of the anxiety and the depression and the, the moments of like wanting to feel suicidal, like, on top of all that, you have to go through to people who are never, never going to admit that what they did to you was wrong. Yeah. Maybe, maybe like maybe magically, maybe if we can reinvent how we view them, how, how we view these people who have done these horrible, atrocious acts as human beings who did their best, like literally like it's, it's sad. We can kind of pity them. And we can also say, wow, they, they really did their best. You know, sometimes I'm at my best day. I barely wake. Like I've in the past, my, my best was I barely woke up and I watched YouTube all day, mm -hmm. you know, despite, despite me, you know, going through all that, like that was my best and that's okay. Like we're allowed to do that. We're allowed to, you know, to get through it. And again, back to forgiveness, forgiveness allows you to see them instead of seeing your story, instead of seeing a demon, or even if they did what was demonic, it gives you that power to like, I see you, you can't hide from me anymore. There's nothing that you can do to me at this point, because they're like, I've done, like I've, for, I've forgiven you. Like, what can you do? Mm -hmm. Right. All right. How, how powerful can that be? <laughs> it's, the best. it's the most freeing feeling. And it's like you're changing your own narrative, like the, the yes. way that you viewed your life experiences and who you are in many ways up until the point where you begin forgiving yeah. and not just the people that wronged you, but yourself for how you behaved and what you for not speaking up sooner or whatever the things are that you blame yourself for, like you can begin releasing all of that. And 
processing the emotions and and knowing that like you know it's like what you said you're sort of just guided by truth like we we have these in the same way that we know that it's wrong what it starts and throughout though it might become more normalized in our heads as a survival mechanism that feeling uh, that innate feeling of of knowing right from wrong doesn't go away and in fact we can bring it back just by mm. being willing to um accept ourselves and accept the people that wronged us and just like know that it was purposeful and significant mm. and, and you don't have to be you don't have to be tied to these experiences in the way that you've always thought you would be yeah. um you can at any point in your life rewrite your entire story or maybe not rewrite it but review it differently yeah. and it's something that i think a lot of people don't really consider is what will come from forgiveness and it's uh, i think we have a tendency to get stuck in this sort of um victim mindset of like poor me but yeah. this thing that causes you to think that way is also your way out of that thing yes. nice and um it's it is a choice it's entirely up to you nobody will do it for you there are ways that people can help you with it but at the end of the day it's up to you and um wouldn't have it any other way by the way it's like what a what an opportunity we have to transform <laughs> this these crazy experiences into positives and um just in the way that you were putting out that note and and how many people were benefiting from it and it's like you know it's just um we're trying our best and that's enough yeah and we're, we're constantly evolving you know sebastian i want to ask a question i don't know if, if you uh mention it but like have you forgiven your perpetrator yeah how how how, how is that how how was that well i think it was more of like a releasing of emotions rather than a conscious i forgive you Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was more allowing myself to process the negative emotions that I had towards him that sort of brought me to a straight, a state of neutrality. Cause it's not like, Hey, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to say that I, I, you know, I, I'm not like, I, I <laughs> how do I phrase this? It's not that, um, I'm stoked for him now, but I don't feel ill will towards him. Yeah. So nice. that's sort of, I think that, you know, that's more of what I mean by forgiveness is yeah. making sure that you're not holding on to the negative emotions that you have towards this person. And what comes into place of that is like, you know, all these new experiences and you view <laughs> everything with a new light. And it's like, you know, this, this is not restricted to just people who abused you. This can be somebody right. who cuts you off in traffic. And all of a sudden, yeah. you're like, I'm not going to ruin my experience, my <laughs> life that I have the conscious ability to decide how things are actually going on, if I'm okay or not. You, you can decide to just let that go and assume that that person who cut you off might be in a hurry or maybe they're, you know, maybe they were abused and they haven't deal, dealt with it or just like pissed <laughs> off about it. Like we have no idea. So we have a lot more uh, control over our perceptions than I think that we realize a lot of the time so that's sort of where i'm at with the forgiveness you know and and in the same way you, that you said with ralph it's like it's pretty safe to assume that this guy was acting out his own uh learned experiences and yeah. that he is he has his own 
inner child just you know reaching out trying to grasp some sense of safety and normalcy if that's a word um and uh (laughs) yeah exactly so anytime you can view people with with that sort of um empathy it's really helpful for you even if you never tell them you know it's not like you need to say hey i forgive you that's sort of what i think we both mean is that this is for us more than anyone else yeah um so yeah that's kind of where i'm at how about you no that's just uh, yeah i was just like everything everything you said and uh, i just wanted to to add to that is like the i was able to forgive after i felt all the stuff that i've been harbaging for them i mean it was like three hours of snot and tears and weeping (laughs) and just you know and and throwing up and i I went and do it at um this was possible through uh the work of um plant medicine called ayahuasca it's a two-night ordeal but on the second night uh, is when I had this experience of just weeping and crying and and seeing them in the light and seeing their darkness and seeing how the best it did and feeling and seeing little Dennis go through such a horrible, horrible experience, right? I mean, I was a wreck and I was able to forgive because after, after that's gone, it's like there's a whole weight and like you said, like new experiences open up because of that. So yeah, I wanted to... Uh, to add is like it was it's not just like okay i forgive you it's not it's not just saying it it's it's feeling the emotions letting them run through the course and kind of expunge the toxins out of you yeah and then the forgiveness comes it's like then it becomes more than just words it becomes a lived experience a gnosis so to speak (laughs) so it's a feeling it's a feeling more than words absolutely Yeah. yeah and I've certainly had my uh, fair share of psychedelic experiences as well. I haven't done ayahuasca yet, but I am very much interested and open to it. I, I Mushrooms have helped a lot with this stuff. And I think it's, again, sort of like coming back to this moment in the same way with meditation, where it's like, no matter what you've been through in this moment, you are okay. And yeah. that's... A, kind of a wild thing to realize especially when you've been in the headspace of how could this happen to me for your whole life so however you get there plant medicine meditation therapy whatever the thing is that works for you dancing singing mm-hmm. stand up you know like whatever keep doing things that allow you to reprocess and 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 feel these emotions that have been dormant in you because that's how we're brought up to handle these things and also our own defense mechanisms so yeah. You know, the tools, we have all the tools within ourselves to heal these things. And we're pretty lucky (laughs) in that way. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Well, you've clearly done an immense amount of healing and have had all of these sort of releasing experiences that have gotten you and, and helped you get to the point where you're at now. And I just wanted to know what advice would you give to somebody who has been through something similar, who's hoping to get to the spot where you are? Hmm. Well, you can drink a lot of ayahuasca. <laughs> I'm kidding, <laughs> but not really. <laughs> um, let's see. The first, the first thing I would do is, uh, if you have friends in your life, best friends, close friends, whether it's your mom, your dad, your friend, your girlfriend, whatever and you haven't shared this, just 
share it with with one person. You know, it doesn't it doesn't have to be grand grandiose on a podcast or on a on a news story spreading out through. Sometimes we don't need that, but just if you share it at least with one person that you for sure know they're there for you, they've been there for you, give them that opportunity to show up and to show you your own light because we are all reflections of one another and whatever strength or joy or greatness that you know you've seen in me and through me sharing this i guarantee you that's in you as well you wouldn't be able to see any positive traits unless they're inside of you and oftentimes you know going through such abuse we just put ourselves down so much and we forget to see our own greatness, our own light. And so when you share your story on such a way, you can, you will have the opportunity to see your own strength and your own light and your own compassion and your love, because that soul will be able to reflect that into you. So that's my first step. Mm. Um, The second one is get some help, you know, and see what you're comfortable with. Um, I, you know, if, if, uh, going to a personal therapist is sounds really daunting, join a support group. That's huge, immense, immense healing because you get to be with other survivors and you get to see joy and laughter and strength and your own strength will show up for their stories. Mm. Like, like, I don't know how it works. Well, I mean, I probably do know how it works, but regardless, like when you hear other survivor stories, your own maybe anger for how dare this person, like this person went through something that I hate the, the, the people that did this to them. You'll be amazed by the power and the strength and the courage that, that rises in you from hearing other people's stories. And then you get to share yours and you're like, oh, I shared it. Oh. The world's not falling apart, you know, like lightning is not in the sky. There aren't dragons and zombies running around in the streets. It's like, no, you get to like, okay. And then you expand. Maybe go to find a, find a personal therapist and start doing the work on trusting your own word and trusting that you can feel safe in your own body again. Um, You know, there are so many incredible techniques like Hakomi, uh, EMDR therapy, um, you know, uh, we mentioned psychedelics, obviously do your own research if you're going to be doing that. Um, but most importantly, take it easy, take it easy on yourself. You've already been through, uh, so much. And remember that if you, te- if you choose this healing journey, just remember, you've already been through the worst thing in your life. Mm-hmm. There, like, you cannot relive that and you won't relive that. You owe it to yourself to do this healing. And I'm inviting you to join to join all of us, Sebastian and I, and other survivors who have been on the podcast. Join us. Come, yeah. come join us. We have cookies over here. You know, we got bacon over here. You know, like <laughs> it's pretty chill over here. There is an immense support group that you can always reach out and you know, um, if you feel like you just want to reach out to, you have nobody to share your story, I'd be more than willing and happy to hold that space for you and read it. I'm here. I'm. Yeah, you have where? a brother. You have a brother in me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
I love that, man. That's fantastic advice. And where could people email you? Sure. It's uh, you can email me to Dennis Flynn 101 at gmail.com. So D N I S F L Y N N one zero one at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, just even if you don't know where to start, I can give you some advice if you want it, or I can just be there and be like, Hey, you know, I've, I've, I've walked it. I'm still walking this path. It's a never like that's, that's the fine. The final thing I wanted to say is we have to accept that we're going to be living with this, some of this anxiety, panic, depression, that it will come and go as you do the healing. It won't be so intense, but this is something that I've accepted that I'm going to have to live with the rest of my life. You know, it's, it, it's not a, it's, it's not a hindrance. It's not a curse. It's something that I live through and I get to carry it so that I can show up for those who need it, you know? So. It's the acceptance of it that is healing and yeah. letting go of the resistance to it. Yes. And feeling like I can't have this be with me forever. I can't have this be a part of me. I just want it to not have happened. As soon as you come to terms with it and, and, allow it and accept it and accept yourself that's when a lot of the healing takes place so truly cannot thank you enough for coming on here today man everything that you said and and the way that you told your story it was uh it was really remarkable and just a healing conversation to be a part of and to listen to and just i am very very grateful to have spoken with you and and to know you i can't wait to have you back on again soon looking forward to it brother that was brilliant man beautiful thank you